if we are to to be genuine about uh, what we we want to do, we have to be genuine about our commitments and the Paris Agreement. Then it doesn't make sense to keep opening new coal mines. One for mum, one for dad, one for the country. And there has never been a more exciting time to be in Australia. Dead, buried, cremated. Australia is basically done for. We'll just end up being a third-rate economy. You know, a banana republic. Just follow the money. G'day, and welcome to Follow the Money, the Australia Institute's podcast demystifying the big economic issues in Australia and putting them in plain English. I'm Ebony Bennett, Deputy Director at the Australia Institute. As the largest island nation in the Pacific, Australia has a big role to play in the region. But the government's intractable stance on climate change and coal once again caused a big rift with our Pacific Island neighbours, who are among the most vulnerable to a changing climate. Australia is still facing pressure from Pacific leaders to do more domestically to tackle climate change. You put on the table. It doesn't give you the excuse to not to do the right thing that is cutting down your emission, including not opening your coal mines. We will take a principled position on behalf of New Zealand. We all have to take responsibility ourselves. Pacific Island nations, the impact of, of climate change, the impact of rising sea levels, it's not a theory, it's real. At the 2019 Pacific Island Leaders Forum in Tuvalu, Australia dug its heels in and refused to sign a communique from the smaller island nations that called for tougher emissions cuts and for coal to be phased out, so as to ensure the survival of the low-lying atolls and island nations. Australia ultimately forced the communique to be weakened, in a devastating blow for the Prime Minister of Tuvalu, who had worked for months to secure a strong climate outcome. We should have done more work uh, for our people. I think uh, I seek for a respect, understanding of the uh, Pacific people on the outcome, which is really, uh, um, you know, uh, a negotiated outcome. And so uh, uh, we have to live with that. Australia was described by some commentators and Pacific Island leaders as a big bully, particularly after these comments by Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack. They will continue to survive, and they'll continue to survive uh, with, a, with large aid assistance from Australia. They will continue to survive because uh, many of their workers come here and pick our fruit. Uh, it was very disappointing what the Deputy Prime Minister said, certainly not befitting somebody who holds that office. All in all, the Pacific step up became a step backwards. For the vulnerable, low-lying island states in the Pacific, climate change isn't just a political football like it is in Australia. It's about survival. Anote Tong is the former president of Kiribati, and he was the first world leader to call for a moratorium on new coal mines and the phasing out of existing ones, ahead of the Paris Climate Summit in 2015. He recently visited Australia to talk about the security threats that climate change poses in the Pacific, and I managed to talk to him while he was here. Thanks so much for, for um, talking to me today. Thank you, and so, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about the security challenges, because we are seeing that crop up a lot more in Australia's engagement in the Pacific. Um, what kind of things were you talking about? What kind of things are um, exercising the Pacific when it comes to security? Well, typically, uh, it's about uh, the perspective of countries 
around the Pacific, but not the perspective of the countries in the Pacific. Okay? Yeah. And so yesterday we, we went through that conversation. And I think it was important that we also provide the perspective from, uh, from within the Pacific, looking outside. And uh, as you well know, there is a perceived threat of Chinese, increasing Chinese uh, presence and influence in the region, the, uh, the increasing indebtedness of many of the Pacific countries with China, uh, what that means for countries like Australia, uh, Japan, of course the, the Japan was there, and of course the United States. So again, we're talking about uh, us and them, okay? Yeah. And so the question is, where are we? Because we're in the middle of us and them. Mm. And uh, the, the reality for us, and I, I made this comment yesterday, is that, okay, it's all going on, but uh, here we are. China is not something that we, we are too worried about. For many of the Pacific countries, they view the Chinese uh, intervention as being very beneficial for them. Uh, some have expressed concern about the level of indebtedness that they've been able to get themselves into with China. But uh, I think in the main, it's about uh, China as a, another source of uh, the resources that are needed for development. And uh, China, it, for me, I think from the perspective of the small island countries, it's not always uh, perceived as a threat because we don't, there's no, we don't pose a threat for China. Mm. And China is not a, a threat for us as, as it might be viewed from the Australian perspective. So what are some of the, I guess, concerns for the Pacific in the way that other countries are shuffling and the geopolitical implications and the Pacific kind of getting caught in the middle of all that. Yes. Well, the reality is we, we watch it with a lot of interest <laughs> and we, 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 we try and see what it means for us. I think obviously the, for some countries they see it as maybe a good thing because then we, we, do, we begin to matter. Uh, in the absence of that rivalry, we're just tiny islands sitting in the middle of the ocean with nobody worrying too much about what, whether we go or come. Well, speaking of being a small island in the middle of the ocean, climate change is obviously an enormous issue for the Pacific Islands and Kiribati. Just tell us a little bit about what your country is facing thanks to climate change. Yes, quite rightly, and I think the point that I made is China is not as much a threat to us as climate change is. Mm. And this is why it was a very topical issue at the recent uh, Pacific Islands Forum. Mm. And why that is, is because we are facing problems, uh, not disastrous at the moment, but problems nevertheless, which uh, on the basis of the science coming forward, uh, will get much, much worse in, in the shorter time period than in the past. I mean, it's a, the, the level of escalation is not just exponential, it's rock, uh, logarithmic to mm -hmm. the extent that it's, uh, it, will, it may reach a point of no return very soon. And so that for us is disastrous. It's about our survival. It's not about economics. It's about, it's about people mm. and whether they will have a place to continue to call a home or not. The, the projections are that, no, they will not. So that is not good for us. In, on the ground, what we are experiencing is the usual uh, 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 high tides. At the end of this month, we will have one of the super high tides. 
And so already people are showing up, warnings to people, you know, get ready, get ready for what's coming. Take us through that. Like what happens when something like a super tide is, is coming? Oh, you know, there's always damage. People's homes get washed away. The, uh, so a lot of uh, people put up the seawalls. But uh, quite often the seawalls break down. And unfortunately, there's nothing you can do while the water is coming in. You just have to wait for the tide to go out. So we, we will be looking forward to a lot of damage being done again. But, uh, of course, there are communities who had to move because the, the village is no longer there. The, uh, over time, the, you get destruction of food crops. Is that because of saltwater intrusion? Saltwater intrusion into the, the, water, the fresh waterlands, mm-hmm. uh, from which we, we take our portable water. Mm-hmm. And so all of this, we regard it as uh, normal events. But the reality is they're no longer normal, they're getting more intense mm-hmm. and uh, n- not retreating, but actually on the increase. And so, uh, of course, our people don't read reports, don't know what's coming. Mm. They know what happens today and what might happen tomorrow, but don't know what's happening in, in 20 years' time and really have no interest in trying to find out. Mm. And so those who have the capacity to, to get that information must have the responsibility to do something about it for the people who don't. There is a gap in uh, perceived threat. And uh, right now, of course, Australia thinks that um, uh, many people don't believe that climate change is not that as relevant to them as it might be to us. But I think the reality is, uh, what, what are you seeing in Australia? You're seeing bushfires, mm-hmm. you're seeing droughts, you're seeing stronger storms. And uh, what you need to do is... Con- continue to think and push this ahead 20 years on. Okay, the projections are the storms will get more severe, the drought will get worse, and the bushfires will continue until there will come a time when uh, you can no longer ignore it because you're getting the temperatures. There was, a, I think it was 2015 when I was coming through Sydney, there was temperature of 45 degrees. Now, that is dangerous. But when you're getting temperatures of almost 50 degrees in Europe, and uh, once you begin to get 50 degrees here in Australia, then you might begin to think, yeah, it's, it's relevant. But by then it would be too late. Mm. Extreme fire conditions have been forecast for areas across Queensland today. We could see catastrophic conditions developing today as well. The dry spell right now in Queensland and New South Wales is one of the worst in our history. Looking pretty damn dry, pretty bleak. In New South Wales, once fertile swathes of farmland are now barren. Been here all my life and it's the worst I've ever seen in 58 years. And there is that gap, I think, between how the public perceives the impact of climate change compared to what our leaders are prepared to do and say about it. So what is the Pacific asking Australia to do? I think it's just looking to Australia to provide the kind of leadership that is needed. Because in the Prime Minister's own words, we're a part of the Pacific family. As a family, we must learn to look after each other, okay? And so we're talking about, uh, the Pacific Island countries are talking about their survival. But uh, Australia, Australia is resisting this because, I don't know, actually, I really don't know why, because the, we talk about the, the, the economy as a reason, we talk about all kinds of things. But I think uh, the reality is we, just, we need to go beyond what is there at the moment. And at the moment we see energy, coal as a source of energy, 
we see coal as a source of revenue for, for the country. But let's look beyond that and see what the impact of that would be in 20, 30, 40 years' time. But I assure you, the things that we think we are benefiting from today will, will come around and the cost will come later. Okay? So that is uh, really, I think it's immoral to do what we are doing, knowing what it means. And the science, I, I understand, is pretty clear. And so this is why I said I don't know why, what, 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 why Australia is doing what it's doing because it doesn't make sense. Okay? <laughs> it certainly doesn't. And um, the, only, the only explanation, I've tried to work out this puzzle, but the only explanation is there is something else driving the mentality of your leadership to do what it's doing, which doesn't appear to make sense. If we were to take coal out of Australia's energy system, the lights would go out on the east coast of Australia. I just don't know how you could say by 2050 that you're not going to have technology that's going to enable good, clean technology when it comes to, to coal. Around the world, that emissions per capita in Australia are at their lowest level um, in you know, decades. Coal industry lobbyists and some political leaders in Australia like to claim that a moratorium on new coal mines would spell economic and social catastrophe for Queensland in particular, but also for the rest of the economy. But the Australia Institute commissioned economic modelling, which shows that the economic impacts of a moratorium on Queensland, New South Wales and Australia more broadly would be small. The fact is, Australians significantly overestimate the size of the coal mining industry, both in terms of employment and its contribution to GDP. In reality, coal mining employs less than half of 1% of the almost 13 million strong Australian workforce. And while Australians think it contributes more than 10% to GDP, in actual fact it contributes just 2.2% to the GDP of Australia. A moratorium on building new coal mines and expanding existing ones would allow for a gradual phase-out of the industry, which would in turn minimise the social and economic adjustment that's associated with a worldwide commitment to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Back in 2015, just before the Paris Climate Talks, where you made the call for a moratorium on new coal mines, What's the reason behind that, why you think that needs to be a, a global moratorium? If we are to, to be genuine about uh, what we, we want to do, we are to be genuine about our commitments at the Paris Agreement, then it doesn't make sense to keep opening new coal mines. And I think I must make it absolutely clear here. And I've been deliberately, I've been de been deliberately misinterpreted mm. to say that I'm, I'm asking for all coal power stations and to be shut down? No. I think that is a distortion of my comments. It's, it's unrealistic and I think that's why it's conveyed as such to be so unreasonable and so unrealistic. What I was asking was that let's stop opening new coal mines. And the reason is very simple because the science is it's bad for us. It doesn't get much more simple than that, does it? I don't think so. Very, very direct and very strict. And obviously there's been resistance in Australia to that call, but uh, I know a lot of Pacific Island nations signed on to that call. How is that going internationally? Is there support building for a moratorium on that? On New there Zealand? is. I mean, uh, shortly after I issued the note, some countries uh, returned and uh, made their commitments. Now, what's happening around different parts of the world, I mean, the, the, the Brits 
they've taken it on board and I believe they're asking Australia to, to, to step forward on this as well. Mm. Uh, even the United States is taking the initiative to shut down the coal plants mm. and uh, other countries are doing that. And uh, we, I know that there is always the, um, the argument that uh, there's no point in Australia doing it because China will continue to do it. But I think the real issue is there's every point to, for Australia to do it and then put pressure on the Chinese not to do it. Okay? And so let's, let's not put, put forward that kind of an, an argument. Let's study the issue, draw our conclusions and act on the basis of those conclusions. The recent decision, I guess, and approvals for the Adani coal mine, how was that perceived in the Pacific when it happens? Is that the kind of detail that the Pacific has to pay attention to what's happening in Australia, or is that really much more high level? I think um, there's not much we can do, but there's a great deal that you Australians can do, and I think you need to do. You have the obligation to do it because that is your obligation to your future generations, because I guarantee you, it is going to hurt your, the health of your family one day. And uh, so uh, that's a responsibility that uh, Australia, uh, the, the, the Australian public has, not only to itself, but the re to the rest of the global community, you know, to keep pushing away the kind of initiatives that contribute to, uh, that contribute to the, the, the changing climate. This week you called for Australia's membership of the Pacific Islands Forum to be reviewed uh, for possible sanctions or suspension because of uh, our pro-coal agenda, I guess. Um, can you walk me through that and why you think that's an appropriate response for the Pacific Islands to, to take? Okay, let me put it this way. You're a member of my family, but you keep damaging the future and the security of members of my family. What should I do to you? Should I reward you? Should I applaud you? Or should I sanction you? I think it's the same question. That, is, that answer applies in another, at another level. And so Australia is doing that. It's endangering the security. It's a danger. What it's doing is a danger to the, the well-being of members of the, the same family. And so it needs to be sanctioned in, in some way. We can't applaud that. We can't. We cannot allow it to, to continue. And the only way that it uh, uh, to, to, to do that, if you don't abide by that rule, what right do you have to remain within the, the grouping in the family? Okay. I think it's. It, let's not talk about anything else. Let's just talk about the action itself. This, uh, this Prime Minister has presided over uh, a reduction in Australia's influence in the Pacific and he's damaged our relationships. Uh, he went in with emissions rising, without a plan to reduce emissions, uh, with a history of people like Peter Dutton making jokes about Pacific Island nations sinking underwater. And of course Michael McCormack saying climate change was fine, they'd be fine because they could come here and pick fruit. Is it any wonder uh, that he walked out of that having alienated okay. people that we want to be close to? And what are you anticipating uh, coming out of the upcoming United Nations climate talks in September? You know, I've always been uh, disappointed that the kind of thinking we go to at these conferences. We go there with our national agenda and want to put this on an international table. It doesn't work. Mm. We've got to understand that climate change is a global issue. Therefore, we cannot and should not be bringing our national agenda. I think this is precisely what happened in Tuvalu. 
Well, I think it's uh, it's worth a couple of signs that Australia came and went and uh, pushed very strongly to try to undermine the uh, the strength of the resolve and the, and the declaration that was to in the communique of the forum uh, meeting, um, which really was about removing those uh, parts of the uh, the commitment which would be perceived as maybe selling off Australian interest. I I never believed that. I think uh, we all all have to educate ourselves uh, to the reality of what is at stake. It's not about our politics of the day. Climate change is about our our survival into the future. And so I've always said climate change is not about politics, it's not about economics, it's about people. The future survival of humanity is now regarded as an issue. Climate change is a global issue, and it must be tackled at a global level. And um, you cannot be talking about pushing in what it mean, what it would mean, what you do there would mean to your next election. It's not about your election; it's about the next generation. If there was a message that you wanted to send to Australia, what would you say to them? It's quite clear. I don't think I need to say. I just need to remind people to re- recommit themselves to what they also already believe. That climate change is a critical issue. It's at the top of their, uh, their agenda, as it should be. As I think what needs to be done is to continue to ask the leadership, why are you not doing it, mm. acting on it? Who else is pulling the strings that is taking us very directly to the catastrophe that's ahead of us? Let's try and work together to avoid it. And uh, for the leadership, come on, provide the right leadership. Don't take people towards the disaster that you're taking to. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Nothing at all, but simply to say I'm grateful. I always am to visit your country and to understand and know that uh, you've got wonderful people, the hospitality, the genuine commitment. But I think... I think... You need, as a, as, a, as a people, as a public, you need to ensure that uh, what you, you want done is actually followed by your leadership. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. That's been episode 38 of Follow the Money, brought to you by the Australia Institute. I recorded this interview with His Excellency, the former president of Kiribati and Note Tong, on the 14th of August 2019 in Canberra. He was here as a guest of the Australian Institute of International Affairs. You can go to our website, tai.org.au, where you can find more analysis on climate change, renewable energy, a moratorium on new coal mines, and our National Energy Emissions Audit that's published monthly. Listen free to follow the money wherever you find your favourite podcasts, or you can listen to all our previous episodes on our website. We're on Twitter at the Oz Institute with an AUS. My Twitter handle is ebony underscore Bennett with a double N and a double T. This episode was produced by Jennifer Macy and Lizzie Jack. The theme music is by Jonathan McFeet from Pulse and Thrum. You can find more of his music at pulseandthrum.com. Thanks for listening. The Climactic Collective. Collective.